You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Um, if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Luke 15? I'm going to read the whole chapter, so, so bear with me and follow along. Um, this is not going to be uh, an exegetical preach. I'm not going to kind of take apart the passage and pull out loads of stuff. I'm actually bringing this passage and I'm going to pull out a few things. But actually what I've been asked to speak on today, um, it's not that kind of preach. So here we go. The parable of the lost sheep to start with, Luke 15 verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. That was a great offense to Jews. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of, his, one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. That's the older brother. His father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, I just pray that you would help me to unpack this message faithfully, effectively. I pray that Holy Spirit you be working in our hearts, soften our hearts, help us to receive your word, help us to respond with faith, help us to learn what we need to learn and to experience what we need to experience this morning. In your name, amen. So Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's God's desire for his rule and reign to be established on earth, for his kingdom to come. It's his desire for the things of heaven to be manifest on earth. So the question is, what is heaven like? What is his kingdom like? Last week we learned from Tim a powerful message about the, the holiness of God and the, the majesty of God and the awe in the presence of God. The angels have to hide their faces from the glory of God, the trembling, the, the wonder, the terrifying majesty. Well, Luke 15 gives us a glimpse into another dimension of heaven, another aspect of the culture of heaven. And it can at first seem a bit contrary to what Tim shared, but I hope that we can discover today that these two things are not contrary. So heaven's kingdom, and we we can see this from this passage, heaven, God's kingdom, is full of joy and celebration. See in verse 6 and verse 9, rejoice with me, there's joy in heaven, there's joy before the angels of God. And they began to celebrate, verse 24, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. I want you to imagine what this might look like. What, just, just sort of engage your God-given imaginations right now. What does it look like in heaven when there's celebration, when there's rejoicing, when a lost one comes home? So on the one hand, we've got angels hiding their faces from the glory of God. And on the other hand, we've got this incredible rejoicing, this celebration. And um, I think it's a common misconception that that these verses talk about the angels rejoicing. I I actually thought this until I studied this passage. I thought, oh, the angels celebrate whenever... uh, a lost son comes home. Whenever a sinner repents and gets saved, the angels celebrate. But interestingly, the passage doesn't say that. The passage says there is great celebration before the angels of God. Okay, so who's celebrating? That's interesting. Well, in the parables, it's the man who lost his sheep. It's the woman who lost her coin and found it. It's the father who throws the party. So actually what we see in heaven is that it's God himself celebrating, rejoicing over every 
lost son who comes home, every lost daughter who returns to him. And I'm not saying the angels don't celebrate. I'm pretty sure that they do. They join in with him. I'm pretty sure the father is saying, rejoice with me. So amazing, really, that there's this paradox going on. Great awe and majesty and holiness. And yet, at the same time, great celebration and rejoicing. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That word translated exult is uh, a Hebrew word. In other translations it says rejoice. It kind of means something like spin around violently. So it's like almost as if God is dancing over us. It shouldn't really surprise us this, actually, when we think about it. For in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand pleasures evermore. He's the one from whom all joy comes. He is a joyful God. He's a happy God. He sits on his throne and he laughs. <laughs> he's not bothered. He's not afraid. He's not concerned. He's not anxious. He is happy. He is full of joy. He knows what he's doing. So I think to be a healthy church, we need to reflect something of both the culture of awe and wonder, as we were hearing last week, and something of the culture of celebration that is going on in heaven. And so last week we looked at growing in reverence, and this week I want to look at growing in celebration, which is really interesting because... A year ago, almost a year ago to this day, we had a prophetic word um, by one of the elders in this church, Len, and he said something along the lines of, we need to learn to celebrate. I don't know if you remember that, but it stuck with me and it stuck with the elders and we've been pondering it and praying into it and I've been discussing it with the worship team and it's kind of stuck with us and we're like, well, what does that mean? How do we learn to celebrate? And I think still a year on, I'm not sure we've, we've moved much closer, but we, we are aware that this is something that God is calling us to grow in. And praise God, I've got an opportunity this morning to, to maybe help us take a step towards that. So first question I want to ask is, what does celebration look like? What is celebration? Um, I googled it. I got all sorts of things, um, but some of the words that came up were merrymaking, festivity, party, and rejoicing. I think that um, we instinctively recognize, though we might not be able to define it, we instinctively recognize celebration when we see it. If you're a football fan and your team scores the winning goal at the end of the season, you instinctively, impulsively jump out of your seat and shout and clap and do whatever. And if you're not a football fan, you'll have seen others do that and you'll be like, that's celebration. If you are a parent and you saw your child first take their first step and you were like, yay, well done, well done, that is celebration. The other, the other week, someone, someone very generous um, gave Becky and I uh, a really thoughtful gift. Um, 
And I literally jumped up and down like a little boy and shouted, yay. I was celebrating. And I, you know, I don't mind being childlike in that way. Maybe you've heard a testimony of someone being healed um, from a serious sickness. And, you know, your instinct instinctive response is to just praise and thank God and cheer. And there's this rising in you that says, I, I just I want to celebrate. This is worth celebrating. Last week we heard testimonies, amazing accounts of healing. Was it 13 healings at the women's conference? If we're not careful, we kind of go, yay, God, and then, you know, on with our lives. People getting healed of serious things that are affecting their lives, just completely changed in a moment. It's wonderful. Um, The elder brother recognized um, celebration when he heard music and dancing, which is interesting. I think, um, you know, I don't want to confine celebration to our corporate worship times. But there is something about when we gather and when we sing and we have music and we have an opportunity to dance, clap, shout, whatever. There's something about that that reflects what's going on in heaven. Now, obviously, this is a culturally um, shaped expression. So I'm not saying, right, you know, we need to now copy that. And we might think, oh, you know, we're British. You know, that, that's not how we do celebration. We do celebration, you know, golf clap. Um, but I, do, I just want to say that as Christians, we have to be committed first and foremost to the culture of heaven before we're committed to our own heritage and culture. We want both, but we want it to be shaped primarily by heaven. And if there's a clash, heaven wins. Okay? So there's lots of wonderful things in British culture that we want to celebrate and embrace. But there are some things that we want to see transformed by the culture of heaven. And um, I don't think golf claps cut it, if I'm honest. Um, So, you know, what would it look like for the culture of heaven to invade earth in this church? The culture of joy and celebration that is in heaven, what would it look like for it to invade this church? There's there's a church that we are loosely connected with that um, are well known for pressing into the things of the presence of God. Um, and it was recently remarked to me, sort of third-hand probably, that someone who travels around a lot and speaks had been in, the, in this church and they'd stood near the front because they were speaking and they said it was the first time they'd ever been in a church where the noise that was coming from behind them was louder than the noise that was coming from the front. Now, that's not because they have a quiet band. It's because the... They had taught, they've taught their congregation how to celebrate and how to praise and how to engage in worship. So in a, maybe six months or so, we'll be moving into a new venue and two will become one. Two meetings will become one again. And there'll be maybe 400, who knows, of us gathering together in the former Odeon, big space. What, what's it going to look like? What, what, you know, imagine, what could it look like when we gather together if we have embraced heaven's culture of celebration? But I think it's really important that we get something right first before we 
kind of walk away and think, right, need to celebrate now. Yes, I've got it. I understand. Need to celebrate. Why? Why? Why should we celebrate? I, I think it's really important that we nail this because motivation is everything. We want the real deal. We don't want, we don't want to hype anything up. We don't want to, you know, uh, flash in the pan, kind of knees up at the end of this meeting and then go home and nothing changes. No, we want, we want God's joy to invade this place. It's real joy given by God. It's fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's in response to who he is, what he has done, and what he's going to do. And in pursuit of him. So we need to get our motivation right. We've already kind of covered two reasons why we should celebrate. One, because it's going on in heaven. That's what God is like. The other, because we had a prophetic word and we feel this is something we should respond to. But I want us to be utterly convinced that this is something we should go after. Because if we're not, we will just have a temporary fizz of excitement. Our flesh resists this. I don't know if you feel it, but I really feel it. My flesh resists this. I do not like engaging my body in worship. My flesh hates it. I'm like fighting it. And the enemy hates it. He absolutely hates it. So we need to know we've, we've, we've got opposition in this. If we're going to go after this, there's opposition. So we really need to make sure that we're convinced this is what we should go after. So I want to, um, I want to look at 10,000 reasons why we should pursue celebration. No, I'm just kidding. It's um, 10. Still a lot, but you're now relieved rather than like, oh, 10. Number one, because the scriptures encourage us to, if not command us to, sing, shout, clap, rejoice, dance, lift your hands, give thanks. It's hard to go through the Psalms and not see these exhortations. Psalm 32, 11 is a great case in point. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Did you know that the first command in the Sermon on the Mount is rejoice and be glad? Interesting context as well. It's when you are persecuted, rejoice and be glad. And most of us will know the famous passage, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it again, just in case you didn't hear me the first time, rejoice. So scripture encourages, exhorts, commands us to rejoice, to celebrate. That's reason number one. Reason number two, because we have a lot to celebrate. The final uh, verse in that passage we read said, it was fitting to celebrate because what was lost, what was dead has been made alive. What was lost has been found. Now, if you're here and you are a Christian, you are in Christ, you've put your trust in Jesus, you have way more than 10,000 reasons to celebrate. 
You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And now you are alive, spiritually alive in Christ. You were completely lost. And now you have been found. You were without hope. Without the promises of God. No access to them. And now you've been brought near. And you've inherited the promises. You're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Who has... All authority. He's been lifted high. He's been given the name above all names. Far above all rule, authority, power and dominion. And you're seated with him. You're in him. You have become a co-heir with him. Of the inheritance that God has stored up for us. You have eternal life. You've already begun. But when you go from this life to the next. It just goes on forever and ever. And I tell you what, it's not going to be one long boring church service. There is going to be enjoyable work for us to do. There's going to be wonder and awe. It's just going to get better and better. Every day, new facets of God's character revealed to your heart. And the wonder is just going to be like, wow. Just imagine your Greatest wonder moment where you've been floored by the majesty or the love of God. That will be your constant and increasing experience in in the new heavens and new earth. There are lots of spiritual blessings and you've got all of them. There aren't any spiritual blessings that you don't have. Not a single one. And you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. His mercies are new to you every morning. Every morning. And nothing can separate you from his love. I mean, I've, uh, these are just a handful of reasons. handful of reasons to be filled with joy and to celebrate. Luke, in Luke 10, um, Jesus sends out his disciples... And he sends them out in twos, and he says, go and heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. Or I, yeah, I might be misquoting, but they come back so excited. They're like, Jesus, we like cast out demons. And they, they submitted to us. They listened to us, and they left. The sick were healed when we put our hands on them. Jesus, this is incredible. And he said, yeah, wow, you know, I saw Satan fall like. Um, and then he says, but listen. Don't rejoice because of that stuff. Rejoice because your names are written in the book of life. I tell you, if your name is written in the book of life, you have serious reason to rejoice. We think, uh, like, if I got the power, I'd, I'd have a reason to celebrate, right? If I put my hands on someone and they got healed, I'd have reason to celebrate. Well, yes, you would, but your name's already written in the book of life. Oh, getting pumped. Okay, number three, better move on. Number three is because it honors God. It honors God. He's worthy. He is worthy of our whole bodies in worship. Jesus said in, in Luke 19, when, the, when he was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, and the crowds were like, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they were praising, and they were rejoicing, they were celebrating, and the Pharisees were grumbling, and oh, Jesus, don't let them do that. And he said, look, if they were silent, if they were silent, even the rocks would cry out. He is worthy. He is worthy. Number four, because it 
recalibrates our focus. We tend to think backwards. We tend to think, I'll rejoice when I feel like I've got a reason to rejoice. Whereas actually we should rejoice in order to bring our feelings into alignment with the truth. Rejoicing brings us into alignment with God's priorities and values. It trains us to focus not on ourselves and not our current circumstances, but who he is. It trains us to esteem what he esteems and to align our joy with what he rejoices in. Fifthly, why should we celebrate? Well, we should celebrate because it increases our joy. Now, again, this feels backwards. We think, well, no, I rejoice when I'm joyful. I celebrate when I feel celebratory. I want to propose to you that we should rejoice not just because of joy, but in pursuit of joy. And I learned this, uh, interestingly, I learned this about fasting as well. Um, I, I used to think, well, I fast when I'm really hungry for God. And then I learned that actually fasting increases my hunger for God. So I should fast when I'm not hungry as well. We fast because we're hungry for more of him and to get more hungry. We rejoice because of the joy that we have in our salvation, but also to get more joy. Number six, we should also celebrate, not just because it increases our joy, but it increases the joy of others. Famous quote here, joy is more contagious than its counterpart, misery. You have to be really religious to avoid catching joy. Number seven, because it's a witness to the world. It says in Psalm 96, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. We're called to celebrate because it displays something of God. You wouldn't, really, you, you wouldn't want to go to a restaurant where there's no, one's, no one there and there's no music and there's no atmosphere. These things matter, actually. Number eight. We're getting meaty here. It expresses faith in God's promises. There's a passage in Isaiah 54. It says, Sing, O barren one. Some translations say, Rejoice, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. See the backwards thinking of the kingdom of God. He's saying, rejoice because I've given you a promise. And I will fulfill my promise. So we get to rejoice and express faith in what he has said. Whether it's in his word or whether it's through the prophetic word. If he's spoken it, he will do it. And we get to express faith in that by saying, yeah, I'm going to choose to rejoice. Right, number nine, because it brings about breakthrough. So there's something about the act of choosing to praise God in the midst of difficult circumstances that has an effect in the spiritual dimension. And in the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites would sometimes send out their musicians first when they were in a battle rather than their, their army. They'd send out the musicians. They'd send out the tribe of Judah, which means praise, and they would praise God. And then sometimes they'd see God rout the enemy without them having to do anything. There's something about praise 
that has an impact on the spiritual world that, that is unseen. Praise is a powerful weapon against spiritual force, forces of darkness. And the, the weapons of warfare in God's kingdom are actually quite unexpected sometimes. We see in the Old Testament trumpets and jars and staffs. He doesn't work the way we think he works. He works in response to faith, in response to believing him. And the other thing I've got written here, which is really good, rejoicing is stepping into life in the spirit, which will lead to a closer walk with him and a greater flow of the spirit's power in our lives. And finally, um, number 10, we should celebrate because it leads to awesome encounter. And uh, there's this fascinating passage in Leviticus where the priests prepare a sacrifice and, um, and then everyone's sort of thinking, what's going to happen? Is God going to accept it? Is God going to accept the sacrifice? If he doesn't, we're doomed. If he does, we're saved. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And it said, all the people shouted for joy and then fell face down, trembling. Really interesting. The, the combination of joy and awe. When we celebrate something about that posture before God of faith and fixing our eyes on him, it leads to greater encounters with his majesty. And we see this Old Testament imagery of the sacrifice being accepted by God repeated in the New Testament, where a different lamb was offered up on a different kind of altar. The Son of God himself laid on a wooden cross this time, no one was looking on, expecting God to do anything. But the question is, did, did God accept the sacrifice? Did God accept the offering of his own son to appease his righteous anger against sin and to completely satisfy all wrath? Did he accept Jesus? And the definitive answer of the New Testament is yes, he did. And he vindicated it. He demonstrated his acceptance by raising Jesus from the dead with power and by pouring out his Holy Spirit with fire on the, on the early apostles. Fire came down from heaven to show God has accepted the offering. So our response should be to rejoice with joy, shout for joy, he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf so we can come before him completely forgiven, completely free, no condemnation. He has done it. So we can shout for joy and we can rejoice and then maybe we can also stand in awe and fall to our knees before him. Now, this is all reasons why. Of course, the question is, how? What, what are you actually asking us to do, Chris? I think I'm asking first and foremost for you to take personal responsibility for your own response to God. Um, you know, you don't have to wait for the band or the host to instruct you to 
respond to God in this way. Like, you know, occasionally we'll throw out a let's clap and, you know, for three seconds we might get a bit of a response. And then everyone starts thinking, well, is the person next to me clapping? I'm not sure if the clapping stopped now. And the thing is that those who stand at the front, we're not your, um, we're not your priests. We are a priesthood of all believers we have, our, we have the privilege and responsibility of every single one of us who is in Christ ministering to God first and foremost and then to one another. So I, I would ask you to take responsibility. <laughs> um, you have permission to express your passion and devotion to God freely. The only rule is love. In other words, be considerate of those around you, but don't be afraid. The second um, way that I think that we can grow in this is by being among the first. Changing a culture requires front runners, it requires pioneers. And corporately, we need to agree together, okay. I, I, agree, I agree with this. Yeah, I think there's something of heaven's culture that we need to learn and grow in. But individually, we need to be willing to pay the price. And to pave the way for others. Because like, we're not it, right? We believe God's called us to become a large church. Not because we think necessarily it's better to be a big church, but... Because that's what we believe God's called us to do. So other, other people will be coming in and joining. And what kind of culture will they be coming into? So we want to make sure that they're coming into the culture that looks more and more and more like heaven's culture. So here's a question for you. Are you willing to look foolish in man's eyes? Are you willing to be among the first to respond in ways that perhaps we're not as strong in? And I'm talking about these kind of whole body responses to God. Listen, he said, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we come to worship, it's not just a mental exercise, not just a, an agreement with truth. And it's not just a, an agreement that then comes into a, you know, feelings, a, a emotional response. There is also a whole body response that is necessary. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the body responds. And I'm not saying that if, we, if our bodies aren't expressive, then God's not pleased. I'm just saying that it's appropriate that, that we allow what God does in our heart to overflow to our whole self. The heart is the most important thing. Let's make that really clear. So, you know, we're not after some kind of outward... Let's just have like, lots of dancing and that will make us feel good about ourselves. No, it, the heart is the most important thing, without a doubt. But we can think that, mistakenly think that because that is the heart that matters most to God, then our bodies don't matter. And that's not true. He's made us whole people. So, um, I'm, you know, I just wonder whether you'd be willing to be among the first to be a front-runner in this, to break allegiance with the fear of man and to make a decision before God that you're going to give him your best 
and your all. The third um, way that we can grow is uh, by imitating others. Now, this might sound really strange, okay? Um, cheesy picture of a, a boy learning to shave with his dad. Um, this at first sounds like hypocrisy gone mad or religion, right? Like, so I'm supposed to look at someone else dancing and copy them. Is that what God wants? Well, let me ask you something. When a child goes to a football, football match, how do they learn to celebrate? They're, they're not born with the knowledge that when, a, when the ball goes in the net at that end, that they should jump up and cheer. No, they've learned that through watching others. So it's not wrong for us to follow the cues of those who are responding appropriately to God and going, okay, so, so that's what it could look like for me to respond to God in celebration. Um, ultimately, we're not necessarily just looking at each other. We're looking at, well, what is heaven like? Let me imitate heaven. Let me imitate what is going on in, in heaven. And there's music and there's dancing. There's shouting. Now, it doesn't have to all look the same. I'm not asking each, you know, we all need to look like, um, you know, what Tim looks like when he's celebrating. Um, no, but we can still learn from one another. And we can learn from children. Man, they are free, uninhibited. It's not hypocrisy to celebrate when you don't feel like it. It's called faith. Fourthly, you can train yourself in the secret place. So because this isn't a show, it's an overflow... I just wonder, you know, we talk about having a quiet time. I had a quiet time with God this morning. Well, how about have a noisy time? When I've kind of got hold of this idea that actually there's dancing in heaven and I need to somehow line up with this and I hate dancing, I took a decision that I was going to first dance before God on my own so that I could get used to it. Now, it feels really weird. I tell you that. It does. It really feels weird. I'm just me dancing in a room. But I tell you what, that, that, that does also have an impact on your freedom. Um, you can train yourself in these things in the secret place. If you've never raised your hands before in worship, maybe you can do that on your own before God. If you've never clapped before maybe you can do that on your own put some music on and clap just try it just train yourself to to train your body it's it's habitual in some ways finally um the other way that we can grow in celebration is through perseverance there's this powerful passage in 2 samuel david um wants to I think he wants, to, he wants a certain piece of land because he wants to offer to God a sacrifice on this particular piece of land. And uh, the land belongs to one of his subjects, I guess. And he goes to the man and says, can I buy this piece of land off you? And the man says, no, 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 you have it, King David. You have it, it's yours. Um, and David's response is, I will not offer sacrifices to God that cost me nothing. Let me buy the land at its full value off you. Now, that, that hits me like, like a freight train. I will not offer sacrifices to God that cost me nothing. It, 
it so pleases God's heart when we bring to him what our praise and our, and our rejoicing, especially in times of trial and hardship and suffering and sickness. That is so beautiful to him. We say, I don't feel like it right now, God. I'm really struggling. I can't get my... I'm fuzzy in my head. I feel depressed, whatever it might be. But I'm going to choose to worship you, give you praise because you're worthy and it's costing me something. And he says, I love that. I love that. I love that. But to get there, there's this sort of active, thankful, rejoice. We have to kind of go on a journey. We, we don't start in that place. We have to actually stir ourselves. We have to persevere. We have to press through. There's this sort of active, thankful praying that works its way up into rejoicing. It's not automatic. It's not instant. There's, there's a very real participation and intentionality that's required. We have to be willing to go on the journey to make the sacrifice of time, energy, willpower. This is similar to praying, really. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I find that when I pray, I don't start praying. I start mumbling and I start, you know, it's just, oh, God, I don't know where I am. And I have to pray and, until I'm praying in the Spirit. I have to press through. And then suddenly there's this moment where you think, I've caught the heart of God. Holy Spirit is helping me to pray, but I've had to press through. And you don't get that with a sort of fleeting, as Tom was saying, like the car park prayers. That's something that you have to set time aside. I think there's something similar in learning to rejoice. We have to press through. We have to go on the journey. We have to stir ourselves to celebrate his goodness until our whole being comes into alignment with the incredible, incredible reality he has brought us into. So, um, coming to close, let's pray and see, see how God wants us to respond. I'm just mindful that there might be people here who don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You've literally just been listening to, as far as you're concerned, a bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. You've got no concept of your sins being forgiven, or you've been found, or set free. These things might not mean anything to you. And I would just invite you to think about that third parable that we read. You know, God is like that father watching and waiting for his lost son to come home, for his lost daughter to come home. And you might not recognize it, but you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't love Jesus, you are actually lost. You're estranged from God. You're, you're like a lost child, and he is your home. And I would just invite you to surrender, to come to yourself like the lost son came to himself, and to say, I've been eating pig's wool. These things I've been chasing, they, they, they don't bring me any joy, any satisfaction. I want real joy. I've heard something, about, something this morning about joy, and I want that. And I would encourage you to turn to Jesus. He is your saviour. He will completely wash away every sin, everything that, that is uh, coming between you and the Father. Jesus has dealt with it. And I would invite you to put your trust in him this morning. And you can do that on your own, but you would be 
really welcome to also come and speak to there'll be a prayer team at the end and share that with them and I'd encourage you to do that and get prayer but for the rest of us and I hope I, I believe this is the majority of us in this room we have been found by Jesus we have had our sins forgiven we have had our consciences cleansed we have had shame removed we had have had our guilt taken away we have got an eternity in heaven so why don't we celebrate thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich please feel free to make a copy of this content but please do not edit the content in any way